A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. WWE needs more tag teams. While the likes of RK-Bro and the Usos are excellent, the problem is the same duos keep facing each other. I can't tell you how many times I've seen the Street Profits versus the Alpha Academy because it's out of control. This is why unifying the division may be the best idea for WWE. And if you need more evidence that the brand split did indeed take us down a weird path, well, I'm Simon from What Culture. Please do subscribe. And this is the eight worst tag teams of the brand extension era. Number eight, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable. These two rock. They are so underutilized in WWE, which is why seeing Gable get a big push these last few months has been great. That man just gets it. It's also why he and Bobby Roode have ended up in this list, because nobody even remembers they were a tag team, and that sums it up. Formed in 2019, they won the Raw Tag Team titles, and were so committed even matched up their attire. Bob and Chad wanted to make this work. After a longish feud with the Revival, though, WWE took all of it, and it split them up. Their total running time was two months, which is just a shame. It was also just another way to tell you to never invest too heavily, because there was every chance your new favorite thing was not long for this world. I don't get it, and it makes me sad. Number seven, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. Do not get me wrong. Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins were awesome as a team and rarely had bad matches. I mean, there's a reason that today they are top of the industry. The problem with their 2018 run was it was all leading to the Ambrose heel turn, and well, we know the deal with that. It started well as they won the Raw Tag Team Championships the same night Roman Reigns announced he had to step away due to health issues, so at least this was a nice wink and nod to their past was something fitting about it all. Straight away though, Dean turned on Seth and it was so abrupt, Rollins even had to defend the belts by himself. Two weeks later, he lost them to the AOP and it was just so poorly thought out. We didn't want villains at this time. We wanted to love and cheer at a very difficult time. It also made the titles feel like a prop, which we are going to mention a lot during this video. And yeah, that Dean Ambrose bad guy idea. I mean, sheesh. He was having needles injected into his ass. Number six, Jason Jordan and Seth Rollins. I swear, Seth Rollins has been ill-treated by WWE at times. And that's not a slight of Jason Jordan here, but on so many occasions, we didn't use Seth how he needed to be used. Nobody recalls this either because one, it was so short-lived, and two, we had the fact that we were all so stunned that WWE was going forward with a story where Jordan was revealed as Kurt Angle's son. And do not try and work it out. It didn't make any sense. It also didn't work as fans mostly thought this was silly and on Christmas night 2017, these two did defeat the bar for the gold until Sheamus and Cesaro won them back at the Royal Rumble. You know the deal. It was then teased that Jason was going to screw over Seth because WWE can't help themselves. But as we know, before this did happen, Jordan very sadly injured his neck 
and we haven't seen him since. Now that is no one's fault, but all of this felt so rushed and poorly thought out, even though you had two guys that were top-tier talent. I don't know about you, but it probably makes sense to try and treat them as such. Number five, Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. You shall start to see a theme forming here, because as ever, WWE for years has treated the tag division like an afterthought. The real shame is that in theory, this is pretty good. Kurt Hawkins had lost over 200 matches back-to-back when he teamed with his best friend to finally stop this by winning the tag titles at WrestleMania. I mean, that's perfect. Kinda. Because as ever, this wasn't deemed overly important by WWE, so Ryder and Hawkins beat the Revival on the pre-show. Now, if the kickoff before the pay-per-view was presented as being on par with the main event, no problem. But you already know the truth with that, and it wasn't right. The real kicker is that they then vanished from TV, barely ever defended their gold until they had a random rematch with the Revival in June, and lost. I mean, ship. There was such a good story to tell here, but instead we just ignored it. So I don't know, you tell me, but we could have had a lot of fun with this, and we didn't. Number four, Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins. See, what did I say about Seth? He's not a dude you use as a make-weight, he is a main eventer. Put him there and leave it alone. This was classic WWE 2 because we went to the whole can they coexist storyline, which we have asked over and over again, and the answer is always no, not at all. So why are we even bothering? It was also a way to set up Strowman as Rollins' next challenger for the world title, which doubled up when they won the tag championships on Raw by defeating the OC. And to be fair, nobody saw that coming. It only lasted four weeks because of course it did, and then we got to Clash of Champions. Seth and Braun dropped them in the first match, and then we went straight into their feud. Meh. This also meant the tag title belts once again were used as a prop, and don't do that. It's not worth it, because if you have championships and they don't mean anything, then what is even the point to begin with? Number three, the B team. I loved these guys. Curse Axel and Bo Dallas saw how WWE was going to use them, so they embraced that, and they went full on in with it. As ever, the fans liked this because they were tearing down the fourth wall, and this fueled them forward to become the champions at Extreme Rules 2018 when they beat Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. It really was strange times. This is when, at the very least, they should have got a more serious edge. But no, we can't do that. So instead, the B team would hold on to their titles by fluking their way to victory after victory. I mean, I think on one night, they quite literally slipped over on a banana peel. We did get seven weeks out of this when Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler absolutely destroyed them and took their prizes. And then you'll never guess what happened next. WWE did nothing with the B team. So that was entertaining. I'm really glad I bought into it for a couple of months. Number two, Braun Strowman and Nicholas. Okay, I struggle this one because yes, I loved it. I know it was dumb, stupid and sent people crazy, but it's kind of what I enjoy about wrestling. When it wants to be goofy, it can outdo everything else. The build was bizarre because the bar were the tag team champions going into WrestleMania 34, and their challenger was Braun Strowman, who had won a battle royal, and apparently nobody else. This went through all the way to the showcase of the Immortals when it seemed like it was going to be a handicap match, but no. Instead, Strowman walked into the crowd, found a 10-year-old child called Nicholas, and together, they defeated Sheamus and Cesaro. I mean, what the flub was going on? I was dying of laughter, especially as Nick retired the next day with a flawless record, but this did not help the reputation of the titles, and neither did it help the bar. I mean, those two were so good, and this has hounded them ever since. Still, though, can you believe it happened? I'm not sure I actually can. Number one, The Miz and Shane McMahon. I mean, what a pairing this is. Happening in 2019, as WWE decided we should build The Miz versus Shane McMahon at WrestleMania, they pulled the old tag team trick and made them SmackDown champions. 
Oh boy. It was even more nuts as Shane was the GM at the time, but it was still the Miz begging him to be his partner because... Well, I don't actually know. This also transferred to their matches where it was the A-lister who got whooped before McMahon made the save and it was the bar again who were drafted in to do the honors. Because they dropped the titles to them at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view and it was almost as if they weren't being used in the way their talent merited. It didn't last long as soon as Mizzy and Shano lost the belt to the Usos and because the Miz got pinned, McMahon turned on him so this was the story again. I mean, my gosh, we do it a lot. Ah, well, you don't have to worry about this because it's all in the past now. So let's forget about it and move on to past is new. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 